to Next in Nonprofits. I'm Steve Boland, and I am very pleased to be joined today by Katie McCloskey, a product manager at Sage in Tech. Katie, thanks so much for taking the time. Certainly. Um, I was excited to hear a little bit about a new product offering that you're kind of working with as the financial reporting and standards for nonprofit organizations is changing. But before we dive into all of that, can you just uh, tell people a little bit about what SAGE is, what, what your overall mission is, and, and your role working within SAGE? Sure. So Sage Intact, we are an accounting solution in the cloud, and I specialize in working with nonprofit organizations. And so um, I'm a product manager here, and my my role is to help make sure that in terms of um, accounting, compliance, um, all of those types of things, that we have um, a great solution to bring to, to the market for our customers. So that, of course, can include so many, many, many different things about how charities do their work and, and account for it. Um, and there have been rules for this um, all along the way, uh, well, for decades running anyway, about how um, charities do that, that very rarely get modified. But this is one of those rare times uh, when there, there's some changes coming up and um, organizations are going to want to make sure that they're really looking forward about how they comply with what the new standards are, what that looks like. So as you're talking to people about the accounting products that you have available at Sage, how do you kind of introduce the idea of what are these changes? What are the new standards looking for? Yeah, so I mean, in a lot of ways, right, it has been a very long time since we've seen change in our space. And, um, you know, this is a real opportunity for organizations to really um, do a you know, good hard look at how they're presenting information. Um, you know, there's a number of changes that are taking place both in the financial statement presentations um, and how they're accounting for things like um, revenue recognition. Um, and so it's Again, it's kind of a, a big opportunity to make sure that they're, you know, kind of coming through and 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 taking a look at how things, how processes work, how reports look, and it's a it's it's a it's a chance for them to really make some changes, right? Like, um, both you know, in an internal process perspective as well as in the products, uh, you know, in terms of financial reports that are actually being produced. Um, and so, you know, we're we're definitely looking at it as, um, you know, something that we can do to kind of help guide that process so that, you know, it's not each and every client doing it by themselves. Um, rather, it's more of a, you know, here's a streamlined path um, so that you can, you know, take a look at what kind of changes you need to make and make sure that those are applied with within your organization and the reporting um, that's that's taking place. So big goals, but those have to get implemented. And, you know, if you're um, a small shop and you've just, you know, had a couple of spreadsheets that you throw together, a, a 990N or a 990EZ, uh, th this may be a little different. But for anybody that's dealing with um, restricted funds, release of those funds, how that happens, the, you know, the, the more complex and larger organizations are going to have to start thinking about how they tell that story a little bit differently. So um, Sage has come forward kind of looking to uh, have a product level response to what these new standards are. Can you kind of talk about how what Sage brings to the table um, helps meet those standards of reporting? Absolutely. So, um, you know, I think from from a long-standing history, people were doing that kind of restriction tracking within their organization, you know, making sure that they understood, you know, what unrestricted funds are, what they had in um, temporarily restricted and perm. And now they have to make this shift in the way that they're externally presenting information um, so that they're moving to do, you know, just with and without restrictions, right? So that it can be, you know, information that's 
better synthesized, right, by external uh, people that are outside the nonprofit space that are reading the statements. But at the same time, from an internal perspective, there's an opportunity for a little bit more standardization um, because they're also, um, you know, folding in, making sure that people are, are tracking like their board designations and things like that from an internal perspective. Um, we decided that, you know, having a product level response made sense because our customers were already you know, following a path to make sure that they had their restriction tracking um, in accordance with the, you know, 116, 117 guidelines. And we had- I'm gonna jump oh, in for just a second. Yeah. Not everybody might know what you're referring to when you say 116, 117, but these are the old FASB directives about how we talked about these nonprofit specific things that aren't necessarily part of just everybody's financial reporting because they don't have those donor restricted type funds. They don't have that transparency requirement in a lot of other areas. So before you jump forward, can you just talk a little bit about what one the FASB 116 and 117 um, information was supposed to be getting at, what that was? Sure. So just like you said, that was the, that was the standards that we were operating under until the 958 um, came out the 958 ASU came out. Um, and so what this does for us is basically it, it kind of walks the statements from being as granular in the restriction tracking and kind of simplifies it, right? So that people can understand when you're looking at revenue um, for a nonprofit organization, is it restricted or is it not, right? They try to make it more simple. Same thing when we're looking in um, net assets, right? Is that restricted or is it not? Because it makes a difference, right? In terms of what the nonprofit organization can do with that money. Right. It does. I, I think kind of thinking about that shift a little bit, because many people um, that I've worked with in, in the more medium sized nonprofit sector um, never really had permanently restricted funds in the first place. I mean, larger endowments, uh, gifts that were intended for that kind of purpose um, is something that has been utilized in higher education, medical. There, there's a lot of areas where they do have those permanent restrictions, but many of us have really been thinking about donor restrictions in terms of restrictions of program or restrictions of time or both, but not necessarily that the, the corpus would never be utilized. So now we're thinking what we're trying to, I think we're what is being trying to accomplish here is, as you said, simplifying that idea a little bit of that transparency of what do you have that's available for your for your operations to continue your mission moving forward and what needs to be reserved for some reason time um you know permanent restriction whatever in the thing may be but that is not necessarily available to just kind of keep the organization afloat um under any circumstance and how that impacts your operation that, that's not a huge difference but it's enough of one that i think you know the, the organizations that have to comply with this really got to start thinking about what's our internal process for how we understand that ourselves, let alone how we then communicate that outside, right? Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Um, and, and one of the things that's really interesting with these changes, right, is even though it's a simplified presentation style from an external perspective, from an internal perspective, I think that there's definitely an expectation that we'll continue to have a more granular focus on um, level of restriction. And so that requirement really hasn't gone away, right? It's just a way that we communicate it um, from an external audience perspective that that's really shifted. The, the other thing I would um, also comment on is that, um, you know, there's also with, with these new guidance changes, there's much more of a focus around um, disclosures, right? Um, so not only did the financial statements become more simplified, but they're trying to, to really encourage nonprofits um, to, to spend the time in the disclosures to really tell the story, right, of, of the financial position of the organization. And it, that's both from a quantitative perspective as well as a qualitative perspective, right? So they're expecting there to be commentary there um, to help, you know, help the people that are reading these financial statements really understand, you know, the true picture of the organization.
So help me understand a little bit more about what's a quantitative measure of that kind of disclosure and, and what might be that qualitative thing that's being expected. And are we going to be seeing these only in audited organizations or are the smaller ones also expected to have some kind of qualitative discussion of types of restriction? Yeah, so it's it's actually broader than just restrictions. I mean, restrictions is definitely part of it, right? Like you're supposed to now have like um, in, within your disclosures the, the nature of restrictions that you have and a conversation around what those are you know, are. Um, but there's other quantitative measures as well, like liquidity. Um, there's more around investments and things like that. And, and, and yes, I think that it's, you know, across the board where um, they're expecting organizations to make sure um, that they're providing this additional level of insight and conversation, right? Um, so, you know, it's, it's one thing to show the numbers, it's another thing to provide um, a, a bit of analysis or more explanation around, um, you know, why the numbers are uh, as they as they are shown. So does that how does that materialize when somebody says, I, I want to have a, uh, a more conversational ability to understand this and not just see the number? Uh, I mean, is that going to be um, some kind of a written commentary in an audit? Or is it going to show up in a 990 or both? Um, so right now, I think the thinking is, is like, this would be similar to what you see in your audited financial statements with the disclosure section, right? Like where you actually have the conversation there. Um, so it'll look something along those lines. So in that process, of course, making things as easy for an audit, we would all like to have those go as smoothly as possible. Nobody wants to pay um, outside audit firms thousands of extra dollars to hang around and, and start to redocument stuff. So how does Sage help look forward to say, okay, here's how you can understand and communicate and do those things as best as possible using these systems that you put together uh, to you know make sure that that process goes smoothly later on. Sure. So there's kind of two things that we've done um, from a financial statement perspective. Um, we have uh, tried to provide a set of um, out-of-the-box reports, right, that align to the new standards. Um, and the nice thing about the approach that we took is, is um, you know, shifting the way that you're doing your presentation style doesn't mean that you lose anything. So you still have the old statement styles that you followed. So, um, you know, if from an internal perspective, um, that gives you more insight, or even just from a comparative uh, perspective year over year, you want to still have that view, you can. Um, but then you're also able to apply, um, you know, the, the, the new standard uh, presentation style, just again, out of the box with our system. And you can you know, just very easily see, you know, with and without restrictions, you can even see the two statements side by side. So the old presentation style format and the new, you can see that everything, you know, ties out and aligns as expected so that you have the confidence in the numbers. So that's one thing that we did. Um, another thing that we tried to do is we tried to move this into um, with disclosures in particular, we recognized that there was this opportunity um, to to do more as a financial system. Um, so what we try to do is is provide a number of the financial, like the quantitative components, right? A lot of times are reports that you can pull from your financial system, and so we wanted to put those together in a centralized place. And so we are um, we have a disclosures dashboard now um, where you can get that quantitative information, and then you can add the qualitative conversations uh, through our collaborate function uh, beneath each of those components. So it kind of gives you that 
best of both worlds where you get the quantitative and the qualitative information centralized together um, for all of your dif different disclosures that you want to pull together onto that dashboard. And the big benefit is that year over year, um, you can just update the date and it will roll forward all of the quantitative information. And then you can evaluate if the, qual if the qualitative conversation should be adjusted um, and how. So the collaborate feature that you just mentioned, uh, as you're talking about a, a cloud instance of of this, does that allow you then to sort of uh, ask uh, for that that qualitative data component to to be pulled together using more than just the finance staff? I mean, is there a way to sort of assign that to others and have them cooperate in bringing that information into Sage? Yeah. So one of the nice things with Collaborate is, first of all, you get to leverage um, a, a group component for this, which means that you can, um, you know, kind of narrow, right? It doesn't have to be a conversation with everybody in your finance system, right? You can narrow who is involved in that conversation. And you're correct in that um, it does have the capability um, to cross over. Like if you are using another system like Salesforce, for example, um, that conversation can be extended um, with those other users. Um, or, you know, you can also include people like um, it's common in our world for like employee users um, can participate and collaborate conversations. And there's a fair number of nonprofits that even have their auditors um, participate mm. in some of those conversations. So that's kind of nice because it leaves a good, strong history trail of why things are the way that they are. Wow, that's interesting. Uh, I mean, one other area that I would wonder about nonprofits being able to do that, though, in terms of adding that qualitative component, uh, that more narrative piece is sometimes it's even volunteers that are um, really on the ground doing some of that work. Uh, maybe it's a volunteer board treasurer or somebody like that. Is it possible to use this system or is it just possible to assign a staff member to like be tasked with, we need to get that information from this other party uh, so that we make sure we're doing our best narrative conversation that we can do? Yeah, that would definitely be a choice, right? If you wanted to set that that person up as a um, employee user of the system so that they can directly participate, you certainly can. Um, and we do have people that do that, um, you know, just to make sure that, you know, the conversation is being held like at, at the appropriate levels, like the finance committee, you might want them to be involved. Um, and that's certainly something that you can do as well. So does the Sage product as a cloud-based thing have like a, a per seat cost? So if you wanted to add more people as users, would that would um, increase the the commitment for the organization or or how does that part work? Yeah, that's, that's, that is, it is based on named users. Okay. Um, but, but one of the nice things about it is that there's levels of users, right? Um, and it's designed in a way so that, you know, you can, it can be cost effective for people that are not your, you know, day-to-day -day finance user to still participate in the financial conversation. Good. Okay. So you mentioned one of the goals earlier about um, helping people out, outside the organization, not necessarily a nonprofit professional, but you know, a donor, for example, out there to understand this stuff better. One of those measures that you mentioned was liquidity. And I think that um, often we've talked about this in terms of, um, you know, if we look at temporarily restricted versus permanently restricted versus unrestricted cash, that's one way to think about liquidity. But, but the standards are, are shifting to try and uh, understand that a little bit more um, broadly. Is that a fair way to say it? Or, or how do you talk about liquidity under the new standards? Yeah, I think that it's they're trying to get to a place of it being a little bit more um, of a holistic picture within the organization of exactly what you have in terms of your assets and then making sure that you can see, you know, how the restriction picture impacts that, right? What is not available um, to the organization uh, for current spend? And in some cases, of course, it's not so much about um, 
liquidity as a restriction, but liquidity as in, you know, some organizations uh, have a majority of their assets in, in fixed assets, and um, that doesn't make payroll. And I think that that's part of what we're trying to get at here is to understand if an organization seems like it's it's in relatively good financial stead because they own a building or some other, you know, larger fixed asset, um, but they have outgoing, you know, annual expenses of X dollar a month and, and much less than that in the bank, that that liquidity conversation is different from their asset position. Right. And that's one of the nice things, right? Because you can you can basically, even though the numbers may look one way, right? When you look at it from a quantitative perspective, you can add that qualitative commentary, right? Through through the disclosure. Looking at um, both, you know, current year um, expectation of what you're going to have to pay out the door versus future debt um, is a different conversation from, you know, what long-term debt may the organization be carrying. So that if you get to that, that whole on the whole, are we plus or minus is one thing, but are we able to make this year's obligations on a long-term debt relatively easily? That's a different liquidity picture, but assumes that you're going to have you know some longer-term debt that you're going to be paying. The idea being that I think transitioning and 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 being able to tell that story of uh, you know yes we have x hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, but most of it is that long-term mortgage on that building, and we expect that to be you know taken care of only one thirtieth at a time or one forty at a time or whatever. And telling that story, I think, is important rather than just saying, oh my gosh, these folks have hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of debt and isn't that a risk? I mean, that's not what this standard is trying to help surface is what are you bringing in and, and being able to talk about to meet your current expenses so that we know you're a viable ongoing organization and not one that maybe is at risk. Yeah. One of the other things that we have um, where we've tried to provide some value is, is basically kind of that picture, like you're saying, of, 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 you know, over time, right? Like to be able to do that type of trend analysis yeah. so that you can tell that sustainability story. And you mentioned investments as another component of that. Um, I, I'm unfamiliar with how, is, is there a change in the standards to how one talks about um, where other assets that might be more liquid in the future are being held in terms of whether they're in a security or a CD or something that is as liquid as just a, a savings account in a bank? Yeah, I think that they're they're trying to tell a picture in terms of making sure that not only are you disclosing, of course, you know what your investments are, um, but making sure that you understand, um, you know, what the restriction aspect picture is with those, and also their performance. Right. So there's a series of investment footnotes um, that are part of these new requirements. And any of those in particular that are substantially different, or you think it's just that your system helps make sure that you're walking the users through tracking those. Yeah, I think it's 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 basically trying to to streamline, um, you know, making sure that you have the ability to track them and to have, you know, all, all the series of those footnotes all in one place very simply and easily. And these requirements, um, as they've changed, is this um, moving forward for, you know, fiscal years that begin January 1 or is it already uh, something that's in or when do people have to be ready to make sure they're in compliance? Sure. So the changes that came forth, um, they're actually uh, apply to organizations that have a calendar year end. They'll be doing their um, first financial statement cycle this year um, um, at the end of the year. And then any financial uh, periods that begin after that. Right. So we'll also see um, quite a few nonprofit organizations, um, you know, when they get to uh, June 30, have to present in this manner for the first time. OK. And that's something that, again, is um, put together with the Financial Accounting Standards Board, but is not necessarily translating directly to changes in the IRS's reporting requirements. So the 990 wouldn't necessarily be changing as a result of this. 
That's exactly right. And that's also part of like why there's value, right? And being able to see things, you know, from both lenses, right? The way that you had been doing things as well as the way that you are um, doing things going forward. Um, you know, there's some talk that change may come there, but it certainly has not yet. Yeah. And well, I could make all sorts of comments about IRS changes and all the rest of it, but we, I, I think that it's good to recognize these are two different things and um, that some people are going to be more used to saying, well, the, the 990 is going to be a publicly reportable document no matter what you do. If you're a charitable organization, that's going to show up. But how you choose to then use these standards from things as uh, complete as an audit to other ways that you would use that audited information to tell your story um, is a little bit more within your control and, and something that nonprofits could choose to say, I want to talk about how this um, change in reporting on liquidity, for example, um, illustrates our story better or shows a need that perhaps you know is harder for, for people to understand, but maybe this level of transparency comes out. Because I, I like to think of the intention behind these uh, changes uh, as something that um, the, the financial accounting standards folks are thinking, we really want to ease this process as much as possible for these publicly held organizations to talk about their work, but their, their overall health too. We're trying to get to that point of a transparency conversation, not just changing standards because it's fun to change standards, but rather we think this makes it easier to understand. That, that's how it comes off to me. Is that how you talk to clients about it or is it something different than that? Yeah, no, it is. It's absolutely how we talk to clients about it. And, and in fact, it kind of goes hand in hand with um, another one of the, the things that we've tried to do, which is, um, you know, we have a series of board books um, that we have available. Um, we've worked in partnership with one of our one of our customers is actually a nonprofit guide star. Um, and, you know, a big part of that is trying to help make sure that there is some, um, you know, standardization and how organizations compare themselves, um, because it's not enough to understand the numbers. It's it's you have to know, well, what does that actually mean? Right. If I'm comparing to one of my peers. And that's a ch big challenge that a lot of nonprofits have is finding a peer to compare yeah. against. Um, and so this definitely gives some of that standardization um, opportunity there. And it also it also means that, um, you know, in terms of in terms of being able to. Um, like you're saying, tell tell the story in a way that that makes the most sense, right? They can they can add that narrative, right? Like we we see organizations, um, you know, that do report to like data aggregators, like GuideStar, for example, right? Um, you know, they're picking up the 990 information, but a lot of times that's not enough, right? People want to yeah. go through and they want to fill out that extra extra information in terms of like filling out, um, you know, more about who they are and how they operate, um, and that. It, and, and, and more color, right, to the financials, because that's really how you connect with people best. Um, and so we we definitely try to, to encourage that. We also have tried to, like within our product, um, you know, with like those, the board book comparatives, we try to give like some of the, the key questions, right, that people would want to ask, um, just to kind of help jog those conversations, um, so that that you are making sure that you're analyzing the right, the right things um, within those, uh, within your financial health. So are some of those questions kind of generated at the software level or is it just here's a checklist of some things you may want to be considering as you're looking at how you have that conversation about these these reports? So that's a really interesting question. Um, so right now we are kind of using um, a standard set of questions that we okay. try to encourage people to look at. Um, but that also kind of brings up um, one of the next frontiers of things that we're exploring, which is, you know, um, with artificial intelligence and how can the system really be proactive in bringing forward those types of alerts and questions to make sure that you're on top of what's going on. 
Yeah, and not to get too far into the weeds here, but one of the things that I've done in in your GuideStar partner that you mentioned, for example, um, is to um, try and do some comparatives about other organizations of similar size, scope, and mission, but you can use their um, NTEE code to do a search um, and then further modify that by sort of budget size and, and um, geographic area so that you can see kind of how are other organizations reporting and talking about what they do in more of an apples to apples. It's never going to be perfect, but at least it's interesting. So for organizations that haven't done this exercise yet, um, that NTE, uh, National Taxonomy of Exempt Entities, I think is the NTEE um, thing. Um, but but by using that, you get to a, a similar mission type organization. You know, we're a, a local museum, we're a um, child welfare organization, we're an animal charity. But then you can start getting into those questions about how are they using their financial reporting? Because GuideStar, of course, allows you to upload your own financial reports, not just rely on the 990. So if your financials tell that story better, you can do that. But it's also, I think, a useful exercise to go out and see some other reports from like organizations so that you can see how are others talking about this and how do we kind of stack up or compare? Are we putting together the right kind of narrative? Are we as transparent? Are we telling the story at least as well, if not better than organizations that have similar styles and missions? So I think looking at those types of things until the day that the artificial intelligence catches up with us and kind of flags it for us, like, hey, you should, you should take a peek at this, is, is a way to get outside your own box a little bit. Absolutely. Long diatribe on that. It's a, 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 little, <laughs> a little tool that I think is, you know, things like GuideStar are really useful in, in helping us find some of those comparison things. But I also think it's really important to recognize that if you don't tell your own story with your own financials, you know, GuideStar is going to publish the 990 regardless. So you have that opportunity to add to that story by having the 990 there, sure, but also to be using some of these new reports, these new standards, things that you might have been able to produce um, with, with Intech or, or Sage's work to um, augment that and not just leave some of those questions about the 990 to themselves. And I, I think that's got to be part of what you talk to your customers about as a, a real value proposition for Sage's work here, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the things that we really try to encourage. And also just not waiting for the financial picture, right, from from a look back perspective, but being on top of how how do your financials you know, and, and, and your financial health ratios, right? How do those stack up now, right? Versus when they're going to be, you know, because a lot of times when you're waiting for the 990 views and you're looking at others, right? It's, it's you know, from a, a year ago or, or sometimes longer. Um, and you can really stay on top of, you know, kind of how your story will appear, um, so to speak, right? Um, if you can be proactive in making sure that, that you're not just waiting for how you know, it's going to publish later, you can get ahead of it, right? By, by looking at, you know, what is the story going to look like um, based on how things are performing this year? And is there anything that we need to do to adjust or tweak to make sure that, you know, it comes out in a way um, that's most impactful? So you mentioned that Sage will uh, kind of help examine ratios. Are there um, key ones that you feel like your product surfaces that are things that people should be thinking about in how they communicate outside of that 990 report that, that really help tell that story over time better? Yeah, we've actually aligned ourselves with um, a, a, basically a standard set of financial ratios um, that GuideStar kind of developed in partnership um, with um, a Financial Scan, and 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 really, it's 
it's basically saying, you know, a lot of people are used to just kind of the standard, you know, health matrix of, you know, how much is going into to program delivery versus how much is being spent on management in general or fundraising. And it needs to be a lot more than that, right? Um, you need to be looking kind of like we talked about earlier, right? Looking at like, what does the asset composition story look like? Um, you know, let, let's know more about liquidity. Let's analyze within net assets, um, you know, not just how much we have, but, you know, what is what can we actually spend of that if, if needed? Um, you know, so it's it's a much more holistic picture that we're trying to encourage. So um, I want to say we have somewhere in the neighborhood of um, like 15 different metrics um, that go beyond um, just kind of the standard ones um, that that we make sure, you know, are, are pre-built um, that that organizations can subscribe to within our software. And if they do decide to do that, um, there's also... Um, as you said, right, an alignment um, so that it looks um, and feels just like the report you would get um, for comparatives um, from GuideStar directly. Um, so there's that value too, um, so that you can, you know, just very easily kind of go through and say, hey, this is some context, right, around what it is that we look like. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Is that, um, I assume, kind of independent of these changes in standards, that these are things that perhaps have been available in Sage previously, or is this adapting a little bit as the standards adapt that maybe some different ratios get surfaced? No, we're definitely open to having some change, right? If if there are ratios that are going to change, and that's kind of part of the value that we're bringing to the table too, right? I mean, you see us shifting, right? The standards came out, and we shifted. Uh, we had a release that that provided um, a compliance dashboard with all of those compliance reports we talked about out of the box, the disclosure dashboard out of the box, right? We have that commitment to making sure that we're on top of any of these um, changes and making sure that we're adapting, um, you know, um, over time. Uh, so so. In this era of change, right? That's definitely important. Yeah. So as you're talking with clients that maybe haven't been using a Sage product before, but are, are starting to think about, okay, these additional changes, I'm, I'm maybe not understanding them as much. How do you uh, talk to organizations about maybe this is a, a shift? If they were to come into Sage now, are, are there ways of bringing historic information in that help kind of evolve that story? Or is that just kind of let's start with a clean set of books and begin? you know, from here using the Sage technologies rather than um, trying to spend time cleaning up past information? I mean, it, that that conversation really depends a lot within, you know, on the particulars of the organization and the condition of their data. Um, you know, it's, it's very common that, you know, you wouldn't want to just completely start from scratch, right? You're going to want to have some level of comparative data. And so we try to make that a pretty streamlined process, um, you know, to, to, to map over, right, what you were doing before to what you're going to do doing going forward so that you can get comparative data, right? So you have that context of, you know, looking at the financial information, um, with not just how it is this year, but, you know, how does that compare year over year um, with the last several years? And um, that tends to be important for people. We're also trying to make sure that people are looking forward, right? Like today, we've talked a lot about the the changes that are taking place with regard to the financial statement presentations. Um, but there's also the changes, um, you know, with revenue recognition and with leases. Um, and so we're trying to make sure that, you know, organizations feel confident and comfortable, right, as they kind of bite off these changes, um, that they're going to need to walk the journey that we have things for them to look at and, and ways to kind of pave the trail to make it easier for them. So can you talk a little bit about the revenue recognition change? What is that? Sure. So um, there's there's uh, basically, again, it's, it's somewhat of an alignment. Um, they're trying to say that, you know, nonprofit organizations um, need to kind of 
have more conformity in terms of how they're presenting um, their revenue picture uh, with with how it's done in in, in you know uh, for profit, right? So that there's a, a more common conversation that can take place, but still recognizing that there are differences. Mm -hmm. And so um, as a result, we have um, you know the the ASC six hundred six. Um, is applying to nonprofit organizations for exchange transactions. And then, um, you know, for non-exchange transactions, right, like grants and, and um, donations, um, there's another standard, ASU 2018-08, um, to try to help make sure that, um, again, there's this alignment where, you know, organizations are starting to make sure that they're tracking things in the same way, um, one organization to the next, and that they're you know, recognizing revenue in the appropriate time frame, right? Recognizing if, if it's an unconditional gift up front, and if there are conditions or barriers, um, for example, like with um, a grant or or um, a gift, that they understand what those conditions are and that they are deferring revenue until those conditions are met. So when you say exchange transactions, we're talking about earned revenue, things where people are getting some value in exchange for paying a fee to participate in a class or whatever a nonprofit may be bringing in as an earned revenue source. That's correct. Yeah. So I think that's always been a, a challenge in talking about charities that um, there are many of them that get a fair amount of their revenue streams, you know, healthcare nonprofits, for example, um, from a fee-for-service exchange. Uh, that is different from gifted revenue. We've always had to talk about being a, a publicly supported charity. That's been part of the disclosures from the beginning, that there is some gifted component to what you're doing. Um, but it's it's interesting to talk about um, that differentiating those revenue pieces and, and really talking about what of it makes you a charity versus what of it is just much more business-like in a, in a value exchange. Um, so if the goal of that is to make that clearer, that some of what you're doing um, is more fee-for-service, but probably in almost every case in the charities I know anyway, needs to be underwritten by charitable dollars in order to happen at all. It probably wouldn't be sustaining on its own in many cases on just a straightforward fee-for-service thing, or probably there would have been a business doing it. Yeah, a lot of organizations, you know, have a stream of both, right? Yeah. Um, of both, um, and, and we're seeing a diversification, right, on purpose um, take place within a lot of um, nonprofit organizations, right? Because they feel like, um, you know, just in terms of, you know, within, you know, changes in the economy and things like that, that if they have a diverse revenue portfolio, then they're, then the organization in general um, is, is able better to sustain over time and deliver on their mission. Um, so you're exactly right. It's very common to have both uh, exchange uh, or, or earned revenue, right, as well as um, the gifts and donations. Yeah. So I think there's a, a lot here that um, may feel like, you know, you certainly are going to want to be working with a finance professional on some of these ends. You know, auditors for sure at, at larger organizations are, are going to be part of that conversation. But um, I think just making sure that managers, board members, others that support the mission work also get the intent behind this so that when they start seeing some different reporting coming out of Sage or whatever they're using, that they are getting why that that goal is out there, that the, the intent is better communication, and that they maybe start thinking about those uh, qualitative sources a little bit differently than perhaps they've done in the past. I mean, it seems like that's the natural evolution of this, right? Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that, um, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, a lot of the finance folks are, are having to think about right now, right, is making sure that that, that internal conversation is happening um, up front. Um, you know, this is a lot of change that's happening, um, you know, in a place where we haven't had a lot of change in a long time. Yeah. And so making sure that people can really recognize, um, you know, like you're saying, the why behind, um, the need to make sure that 
that it's actually happening um, within the organization and you know why the financial conversation is shifting um, is very important. Good. So for people that want to consider how do they learn more about this? How do they keep up on what Sage has brought to the table? Um, where would you kind of recommend they go next to, to keep engaged in this conversation and understand it? Uh, well, we definitely have a lot of our resources um, out on our website. And so we definitely encourage folks to take a look out there. And if they want to find out any additional information, um, we always appreciate, um, you know, any of the, the the ways that you'd like to engage with us in terms of contact, um, we're glad to do so. We also have a number of, um, you know, like webcast uh, presentations that we do um, and things of that nature, just to, you know, kind of help make sure that, um, you know, folks do feel engaged. And they should sign up for those at the website too, or are there Absolutely. historic ones that they can go look at that may have been captured in the past if they missed them the first time? Yeah, I believe the answer to that is yes. Okay. Well, ask people to double, and I'll get this in the show notes. So when we um, have this uh, drop, there will be some links in the show notes for people to be able to go directly to see what's coming up in the future, how to subscribe. And if there's uh, some historic information, take a look at that stuff too. But I really appreciate you taking the time to help shed a little bit of light on this change. It's a, it's a big deal, but not necessarily one that um, that rises to the, to the level of importance. I think that it should with everybody in the sector. Certainly finance professionals know about it, but it doesn't always get talked about at board levels and and in and those places where we really do want to know these requirements mean we're doing things a little bit differently let's make sure we understand it so thanks for taking the time to do that today i'm i'm gonna um well yeah i'd love to just end it there because we're just about out of time anyway so um katie mccloskey product manager at sage intact thank you so much for your help thanks for having me bye-bye